Hello, everyone. We are live. Welcome to Cannabis Mom Boss. I am your host, Jenny Blaze, and we are here today to talk about how I got started on social media with a completely new career in a very new and somewhat controversial industry, the cannabis industry. And I'll talk to you about how you or anyone can get started with a side hustle or a new business on social media, or maybe scale your existing business by utilizing social media. Or maybe you're already on social media and you're looking for a refresher or maybe a different look or perspective. So I'm here to do all that for you. I just want to go and check and make sure that my audio is working. I believe it is. I had like these slides and everything. But uh, I ran out of time. <laughs> so if you are interested, you can email me um, after the show and I'll send it to you. But there's only like one graphic and I'm going to walk through it um, towards the end of the show. But before I move on, I want to make sure to remind you to subscribe and turn on notifications for my YouTube channel. We are live for Cannabis Mom Boss every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern, unless there's like a holiday or something. Um, but this is where I'm sharing my life as a mom, a medical marijuana patient, and digital entrepreneur slash content creator slash podcast host slash <laughs> all these things. Um, but you can do all of these things too, which is the wonderful part of this all. Um, I have a 2023 Cannabis Mom Boss Manifestation Workshop that I will be launching soon. Make sure you sign up at CannabisMomBoss.com. We're going to be setting ourselves up for success for the year 2023. And it's so weird that we're even talking about 2023. I mean, I'm still in this mindset of 2020 is going to be my year. <laughs> Look how that turned out. I know I'm not the only one either. But uh, we all know. That didn't go as planned because of COVID. And every year we keep saying, you know, 20, this is a year, 2020, 2021, 2022. But maybe, just maybe, if we manifest hard enough, 2023 is going to be our year. That's right. I am manifesting that shit. <sighs> I'm like, I definitely, if you haven't noticed, I have been working on my office. Oh, I wonder if you can see this. This is part of what I'm going to be talking about, but it's 
It's not ready yet. <laughs> so, okay. Also, if you're a Bravo TV lover, you may know that I am the blaze behind the Bravo and Blaze show, which is live on Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern on this same YouTube channel, but also on Facebook and Twitter. The audio podcast is available on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. I run through all of the Bravo shows that are going on for the week. Last night we had Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. To be honest, I need to go watch it again because it was so wild. And then also Real Housewives of Miami um, came out on Peacock today. So I'm already behind and I need to go catch up. But the handle for Bravo and Blaze is at Bravo and Blaze, A-N-D Blaze, on all social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitch. People don't know about Twitch, but Twitch is, Twitch has a lot of money. Uh, YouTube, obviously. Um, and I may even be on like Snapchat and Pinterest. I know I have a Pinterest for Cannabis Mom Boss. But I don't know if I have a Bravo and Blaze, um, but I'm pretty sure I have a Bravo and Blaze Snapchat. But please don't send me anything there because I don't know how to use Snapchat. I just went and created an account on every platform. But this is exactly what we're going to be talking about today is social media platforms. And before I start, just one housekeeping item. I'm going to stay on after the show is over to answer any questions that may come up. So please feel free to ask your questions in the live chat and I will do my best to get to all of them once we get to the end because I need to stay on track. I do have ADHD and I realize that if I have too many things going on, if people are talking to me while I'm trying to like stay on track, then it all gets kind of jumbled up. So I'm going to try to stay on track. I wanted to have slides for you guys today, but I ran out of time. Sorry. I'm a mom. I am a boss. I'm everything. And I still don't even have full-time childcare. So <sighs> FML, FML. But okay. If you are new, I'll give a quick recap of my background, I guess. I come from humble beginnings in upstate New York. Um, I was able to do really well in school. So I was able to get my formal education from Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute and got a Bachelor of Science in Information Technology with a concentration in electronic media, arts, and communications. I thought this isn't, I graduated in 2004. So I'll go through like where we were at as far as technology goes, but this is before social media. <laughs> and I thought I was going to be some like cool graphic designer in like Manhattan or something, but I wound up getting duped. I was conned like Vicky Gumbles. I was conned. Um, just kidding. I am grateful for my, my formal uh, corporate background, but uh, I wound up being specialized or placed in a specialized group for the biggest consulting firms in the world. And it's wild that it was such a niche 
industry, we were third biggest in the entire firm globally behind SAP and Oracle. So if that is not a testament to how niching down can be a good thing, I don't know what is. So, and I'll talk about that whole journey of like niching down and stuff. But <clears throat> in my corporate experience, I basically became an expert on being a jack of all trades or Jill of all trades or Jenny of all trades in a high performing business. Um, I've said it before or mentioned it before. Um, when I left the corporate world, I was um, running and managing a business that started at around 70 million when I started in my role and I helped scale and grow that to over 200 million in less than four years. So I know what it takes to run a big business. And now I'm, I'm going through the journey of like starting from the bottom and like working my way up, creating content, niching down. I've done so much self-study listening to best-selling business books on leadership, success, finance, all that good stuff. One resource that I really love, and I'm not getting paid for this, but Masterclass, if any of you out there are just like thirsty for knowledge, more business knowledge, check out Masterclass because I freaking love it. It's not just, it doesn't just teach you like business skills or like very technical skills. It teaches you about almost anything you can imagine. Like Mariah Carey has a masterclass. Chris Jenner has a masterclass. Um, actually, I signed up because I saw that Judd Apatow and Steve Martin had a masterclass on comedy. And I was like, I'm signing up for this ish. Okay, I'm getting off track again. But Okay, going back to my humble beginnings. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> while I was working in the corporate world, I have over 15 years experience in the corporate world. But in my personal life, I was always seeking this idea of like ultimate wellness. And ideally, or in my mind, I thought, you know, being healthy and being well meant that you were like, skinny and looked good. And I know that's like, sounds awful to say, but like, that's the kind of world that I was born into and raised in. Like, there was no such thing as body shaming back then. It was like, it was like expected that you would be body shamed pretty much. And everywhere you go on media is like, models are super skinny. And like, you only see one version of what a female looks like. And, you know, times have changed. A lot. But um, what I did was I wound up in my personal time studying nutrition and wellness entrepreneurship at the Institute of Integrative Nutrition. Um, I got my 200-hour hot yoga teacher certification. That was really great for me to figure out, you know, like what it meant for me personally um, to have my own ultimate wellness, but I wasn't actually executing on that. And if even after, you know, my quest for knowledge on how to achieve all my goals, 
and going through a lot of, you know, self-improvement and trying to work on myself, I still found myself completely unhappy, depressed, overweight. I had a drinking problem. I was on multiple prescription medications. Um, like it didn't make sense. Right. So <clears throat> it wasn't until a friend of mine reminded me, Hey, you know, like, well, why are you upset or like, why are you unhappy? And I said, you know, I'm taking all this medication. I'm like fat. I feel gross. I don't feel healthy because prior to that, I had reached this really amazing level of fitness where I was training. I don't think I mentioned this in any of my podcasts, but I was doing circus arts training in Chicago. I took, um, I was doing like silks, aerial silks, and I was also doing hand balancing. Oh my God. I wonder if I could do any of that. So, but, um, yeah. So, being like overweight and everything and going through nutrition and wellness entrepreneurship and this formal education, you would think, okay, I know what the answer is, but I'm not able to execute it. What is stopping me? And so I started to just try to like peel back the layers and I was like, okay, well, one thing I know is, okay, I'm depressed. Um, and I know that a lot of it has to do with my back pain. So since I started having children, my lower back has never felt right. And even like there's some days where I lose, I don't really like lose feeling so much. I actually would prefer that I lose feeling other than what happens. Like sometimes I must be like misaligned. Something's going on because there will be days where I have radiating pain going down my legs and it's like you, I just cannot get comfortable no matter what I do. And so I, I realized, you know, <clears throat> that pain was really starting to bring me down like mentally. And so I was like, let me try maybe, you know, like who knows, maybe going to the chiropractor will work. Maybe this, that. And like, I tried all these things, but then my friend mentioned that people, some people use weed for their pain. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's true. Because I never really thought of that as like an option to use weed as like in a medicinal way. It always to me seemed like we, I'm 40 years old and I grew up in a time where weed was looked at as a bad thing, even though it's a plant. But it was in the same category as like heroin or like, I don't know, meth or something, which is insane. But um, also I, in media, we never really saw it being used medicinally. And when I would think medicinally, I would just think like, oh, it's for people who have like really bad seizures or like people who are really debilitated or something. And I didn't think I was a candidate for medical marijuana. And at the time, there was um, there was a point in our legislation reform in New York State where they didn't include all like health conditions as qualifying health conditions where you would be able to get a medical marijuana license or whatever it's called card. Um, 
But that year, I think, is the first year they opened it up to chronic pain. And so I went through the process of getting my card and um, experimenting by microdosing. And I never really knew about microdosing either. But essentially, instead of like smoking a huge blunt or trying to rip huge bong rips, I would literally um, smoke, like take a puff or two go return to whatever I had to do and be fine and, but feel better. And then, you know, two or three hours later, maybe go take one or two puffs again and then return to what I was doing. So through doing that, I experimented, I was journaling like every single day, um, what time I was taking it, how much, um, you know, how I was feeling, you know, everything, uh, what the strain was, what it did it, did I notice a difference in the morning and even my eating habits, you know, did it make me hungry? Did I feel, you know, like tired or whatever? And those things, just doing that helped me to slowly wean off of all of my prescription medication within, I think it was maybe like six to nine months but I was able to get off everything and was just living this new life, this new lifestyle of I also quit drinking at the time. So I was losing weight. I was exercising. I was happier. I was just in a better mood all the time. And I did not have any negative side effects. And I'm not telling this story so that people think like, oh, she thinks you should just go try weed or whatever. Like, no, that's not the case at all. I don't think it's for everyone. But just like, you know, someone, it's just like with almost any medication, like some things work for some people. For example, I'm always drinking like tea, okay? This is, some would say caffeine is a drug. I think it's a drug because I saw my mother growing up who was addicted to coffee and how she turned into a monster whenever she didn't have her coffee. So, I always stayed away from coffee, but also I noticed coffee messes with my stomach. And sometimes like it does a reverse, like I will fall asleep after a cup of coffee. Uh, and other times like it'll make me want to vomit. Like I just don't feel good. So I drink tea instead. That works for me. I love it. And it's just like that, the same thing with weed, cannabis, there's different strains, there's different, I don't know, your body is different. What works for one person may not work for someone else. Whatever. I'm getting sidetracked again. I'm going to move on. But essentially, that's my story. I was, so I was still working. I had gotten to a place personally where, you know, finding passion in my work was becoming something that was more of a necessity than ever. Um, that was one part in my life that I haven't really fulfilled until now, really, since I left my job and I'm doing this. Like this is, if you look at my background, what I studied, this is completely in line with what I'm doing now. And it's weird because back then we didn't know all this was available to us. And it is available to all of us. And I want to help teach people how to increase their technical literacy, but also, well, I want to help people 
increase their technical literacy so that they can apply it to their entrepreneurship, which therefore increases their financial literacy and wealth long-term. So for me, I know living an inauthentic life is what makes me depressed. Living for the next paycheck or the next bonus or even the next YSL heels that are on back order or very hard to find. <gasps> like it didn't matter to me how many nice things that I had because I had a really great salary and a lot of people were like, "You're this is crazy. You can't leave. And I'm like, I am not fulfilled. They're like, but you make good money. I'm like, so do porn stars. Like that doesn't mean you should do porn. <laughs> like I knew that being a good person, being authentic to myself and finding my passion that serves a greater purpose that's bigger than myself is what is important to me. I need to be doing that every single day. And so I feel that for, I know for me personally, I need to build a lifestyle that fits those needs in my life. But also, you know, by doing that, I can create a lifestyle where my financial situation suits the day-to-day -day life that I want to live. Because don't forget, Money is relative. What, like there, my house in another state could be half the price, but in maybe another state, if it's in another location, could be double the price of what my house costs. So you need to remember that if you're not financially literate, there are, I mean, I have a ton of resources I can give you all, but Learning about the value of like real estate, appreciation, depreciation. I think that's how you say it. <laughs> but just essentially knowing how to make your money work for you is really having financial literacy. And once you have that, then you do have financial freedom, regardless of what your net worth is. I truly believe that. So, um, Going back to where I was at that point in my life, um, I also, you know, because of my education, I just think technology and what it's done to our culture and society is wild. Like, I know the power of technology. I know what technology enables us to do. And, I mean, social media has proven its power. And therefore, for me, I feel that social media is really lifting the constraints of being a mother and being a woman or being a, you know, minority. I don't, I'm, I don't think I'm supposed to say that. <laughs> Whatever. Underserved. If you're that nine to five life in the corporate world is not suited for us. And I believe our culture is shifting to a more personalized world where, you know, as technology capabilities increase, like the more we're able to do because of technology, 
things become more streamlined, right? Like we lose factory jobs because machines can do it for us now at a faster rate. And, you know, we could do things much quicker than we ever have before. So now we find, you know, if we're able to get more customized and personalized connections through a product, like finding the right hair product or finding a super rare antique collectible that you know exists, but you wouldn't physically be able to go look for, like even if you had all the time in the world, like technology enables us to find these things or find even an education. The things that I'm telling you all right now is all the good stuff that you can get at training in the top consulting firms in the world uh, through all the best-selling books, through Masterclass, through um, my school. I, I mean, our my school is really good. So you're getting top-tier information. It's just how you apply it to your own personal life. And that nine to five... Oh, another thing I want to mention. I'm not watching this show, Love Without Borders, but... You can literally find a soulmate now using technology. So if that doesn't prove to you all like the power, I don't know what will. But essentially, when you look back at the history of the nine to five workday, it's extremely antiquated. And only it's I mean, the idea of a nine to five only started in the late 1800s and only became mainstream in the 1920s because of Ford and the invention of the assembly line, okay? 1920s, like 100 years ago. And think back to that time, not many women were even working at that time. So how on earth would we even have a say in what a work day should look like? So these are like the questions that I am starting to take a deeper dive into like why why do we have a nine to five why is it like this and I'm not into that like let me make my lifestyle fit my needs as a person because we're technology allows us to I wouldn't even be able to talk talk to any of you anyone who's listening I wouldn't even be able to do this if it weren't for technology I'd be some woman at home with all her children, crying, depressed, losing her mind, calling people on the phone, bothering them while they're busy. And I don't know, who knows what I would have been doing if, you know, this was 100 years ago. I'd probably be rioting, that's for sure. I probably would have burned my bra. Actually, I don't know if I would do that. But just to give you guys an idea of technology. I just want to give you the definition of what technology really is. And it's the application of scientific knowledge for practical purposes. So if that's the definition, because I feel like a lot of, a lot of times people think technology, they think, oh, computers or, you know, like virtual, I don't know, whatever reality or 3d things or animation, like it doesn't have to be that high tech. Like, think to the lowest tech ever. And that goes back to 3.3 million years ago when we had our first tools, like stones for knives and, you know, like people making hammers. This is probably not what they would use, but um, I'm holding my AirPod case. But then 
Think about that's 3.3 million years ago. That's a long, long time ago. Okay. One million years ago is apparently when fire was discovered. Okay. So they went like 2.3 million years without any advances in their technology. They were just walking around for 2.3 million years with stones and sticks. Like that was their technology. Then you fast forward a little bit to um, when they started farming, when agriculture started to exist. That was around 20,000 to 15,000 years ago. And I'm going off of, I should um, cite my sources, but <laughs> I um, should be distracted again. Um, so that's like, think about the timeline. The next major technology that was discovered was irrigation in 6,000 BC. Then you have sailing. 2,000 years goes by before they have sailing. Iron is discovered in 1,200 BC. Gunpowder isn't discovered till 850. So now we're in the after Christ times, after Jesus. But 950, the year 950, the windmill was discovered. So if you if anyone is into like data and trends, what you will see is that there is a large spike or I don't know which way it would go down, but the time between advancements in technology continues to get smaller and smaller. So now um, the mechanical or where did I leave off? The compass was discovered in 1044. Mechanical clock, twelve around 1250 to 1300. Printing wasn't discovered till 1455. That one is a game changer. Okay. So once you can print things and start mass producing things, you are changing the game completely because that's when you start having like your newsies and, you know, the little kids outside yelling, you know, get your paper or whatever. That is when that's basically when, I mean, that's a first media ever, right? I mean, that's the first way that people were able to reach mass amounts of people from one single person. So think about that. That was 1455. Then 1765, we have the steam engine, 1804, railway, railways, 1807, steamboat, 1826, photography. Okay. So 1455 to 1826, what's that? Like less than 400 years? They were printing things. They were able to print things, you know, in mass amounts, but then now introduce pictures. And if any of you are like me, I know that you look through pictures as evidence, as, you know, this is like, this is concrete proof of things. So now you're throwing that into media this is like a whole new game. So then 1831, you got the reaper that helps with farming, makes farming go faster. 1844, telegraph, you can communicate. Instead of having some crazy person run 26.2 miles to get a message to somebody, you can now tap on a thing and send Morse code. Then 1876, you get the telephone from Alexander Graham Bell. 1879, electric light. 1885, automobile, 1901, radio, 1903, airplane. Do you see like there's a 
trend where things get closer and closer together, the advances are just, I've been scared since I looked at this back when I was getting my college education. I was like, oh my God, what is going to happen? Because then you get, where are we? Automobile, 1885, radio, 1901. 1903, the airplane, 1926, rocketry, 1937, computer, 1942, nuclear power, 1947, transistor, 1957, spaceflight, 1974, personal computer, 1974, also the internet. 2004, MySpace achieved 1 million monthly active users. That was like the first social media. And then from there in 2012, we have CRISPR, where you can actually change people's DNA. And in 2017, we got artificial intelligence. I mean, sure, that's like not even as scary, I guess, as all these other things. Like now we're in 2022. I mean, I think the advances are going to be like more finite as we continue down this road, but you can see, like, just think about your time on this earth. 40 years ago, there was no such thing as an iPhone or even, well, the computer just came out, I guess, before <laughs> eight years before I was born, but nobody was like carrying around a computer. Nobody was calling anyone. We had the phones were plugged into the wall. And now kids, I mean, I look at my children, my two-year-old, she knows how to navigate a Kindle Fire tablet. Like, that's kind of scary. <laughs> so I think I've convinced you, <laughs> if you're still here, that technology is powerful. Why not utilize it for good? Why not do something for yourself? Invest in yourself in this virtual world because COVID, uh, what was that thing called? Monkeypox or whatever. Like that stuff is not going away. And I think COVID really did that. That's a pivotal moment in our culture because it forced everyone to have to embrace technology. I mean, our kids were doing virtual meetings that if we didn't have COVID, I can't imagine that being a normal thing for kids, you know, so soon. I mean, because the technology was there. Virtual meetings, we've had that since I could, since I graduated college pretty much. Like I remember, so back in the consulting world, it was normal practice for everyone to fly to the client site on Monday morning, stay in a hotel, and then fly back home and on Thursdays and then work from home on Fridays as long as you like had internet. And I would get a ton of work done from home. This, this is 2005-ish, okay? So before COVID happened, I was like, I would be fuming I, I was always trying to figure out how to work from home. Like, this is so stupid. Why do I have to be in the office for my job? What I'm doing is on the computer. I can use technology. I do not need to be in the same room as anyone. I mean, 
don't get me wrong. I think live events and meetings are very valuable, almost invaluable, but on a day to day, I don't need to be face to face with anyone. So it's just ridiculous. But anyways, so I know, I know what we can do with social media. I'm like, I didn't study this formally, but, and this is new. Let me just dive in. I am that kind of person. Like I will, if I don't know something, I'm going to try to figure out how to learn it and, and be the best at it. Take best practices, industry standards, look at data, look at trends. Just there's an art and a science to it. But so anyways, this is my story real quick. I said that like 40 minutes ago. After my maternity leave with my second child, I never went back to my corporate job. I thought in my mind, literally, this is how dumb I am. I literally thought being a stay-at-home mom would be like being unemployed and like, you know, have to clean up and stuff. But I thought like, oh my gosh, it's going to be amazing. It was not. Okay. I love my children, but I hate, hate, hate being a stay-at-home mom. I said it loud and proud. I'm sorry, but I'm just being honest. I hated being a stay-at-home mom. I look at caretakers completely different. I look at politics differently. I look at men differently. Everything is different. <laughs> but um, I, we had our, my second child and shortly after I had my third child. And so, you know, me thinking like, oh, this will be time for me to explore how I want to be an entrepreneur. Um, I... It was not what I thought it was going to be, obviously. Also, COVID happened, so my oldest was, you know, remote for a whole year. So life just sucked. I There were days where I didn't talk to any other adults. There were some days when I didn't shower. It was just awful, awful, awful. All I had was my phone and my TV that I would, like, focus on to drown out, like, any crying or, like, I don't know. Just it was like an escape. And actually I was on my, I had started my first IG account, which is, um, I use Instagram. <laughs> my first Instagram, Instagram account is the Kaizen Gen. And that's where I was like, let me try to lean into my wellness side. Cause like I was so turned off by anything corporate related, anything like management related, just that anything that felt similar to my to my old profession, I was like, no, I don't, I just don't want anything to do with it. And I leaned into the wellness side, but then I was like, oh my gosh, this feels kind of fake. Like, to be honest, I feel like I'm in almost encouraging like eating disorders or something. Cause I do, I have had very significant weight loss transformations in my life. Um, after my first child, I lost like over a hundred pounds and I lost over 70 pounds after my second. So I don't even look at the scale anymore. Like, honestly, I, I don't even want to talk about it that much. Really, It's not genuine for me. So I kind of abandoned the Kaizen Gen. It's like, I have nothing to lose. This is all free by the way. Um, which is great about social media. Like you don't have to invest money to start an account that you can reach tons of people. I mean, 
think about it. If this were back in the day, creating an account on social media now is the equivalent of just for giggles, putting together, making like um, some kind of graphic with some information on it, printing it and going and handing it out to, you know, thousands of people. That would take you all day to do. And that's if you're hustling, right? So with social media, you can literally like set up an account in less than five minutes and start posting. And really, you're just spending your time and energy on it. That's your investment into it. That's that's what you won't get back is your time that you're putting into it. But I believe that anyone, if you have a good brand, if you have a mission, you're authentic, you um, look at the technology, use it properly, and um, just be clear with your intentions, I feel like anyone can be successful. So I abandoned the guys and Jen. Um, I open, and around this time, this is when I was threatened by my OBGYN for having THC in my system when I was pregnant. And I explained my story and she's, she was like, no, you can't, but here's some prescriptions if you want to replace your cannabis or whatever. And if you come back with weed in your system, we're going to call CPS. Like, um, okay, WTF. But, um, I created OG Jenny Blaze 420 as like my new account for me to like come out of the closet as a mom who is also a cannabis consumer. I'm not saying I promote women, you know, consuming dur during pregnancy, but I'm also not like opposed to it. It depends. You know, I think that there's more studies that need to be done. Um, and then if you look into the history of prohibition and the science behind cannabis, you'll see that prohibition is completely unjust and wrong. It's based off of systemic racism and a way to control certain people, certain demographics. And that is wrong. And that's like what gets me angry. So I knew that being in the cannabis industry is what I was meant to do. But as I, and I actually grew that account really fast. I think I had like I don't know, like over 3,000 in just a couple months um, of followers. But with that account, I was like, you know, just testing things out, seeing like who I am and like what is going on on social media. What does it even mean to be on social media? And I mean, this is like probably over a year, like a span of a year of time. So don't forget, like I did a lot of trial and error to learn, not just reading articles and reading books or signing up for master classes or whatever. Like I actually put in the work to figure out how, like what was successful and what wasn't. Um, but I realized like, you know what, my personality or my brand can't just be about weed. Like ugh, that's so Heather Gay, like being ex-Mormon is my only personality trait. Like, you can't just be like, I'm a weed girl. You know, like, 
I mean, I guess you could if you want, but I, I wouldn't recommend it if you're trying to like make moves. Um, but that's when, you know, during that time, I'm like, yes, I'm starting to like live my authentic self and I'm coming out of the closet, the green closet as a cannabis consumer and a mom. And I know that there's so many women, mostly on Facebook, by the way, um, which I hate, I hate Facebook, but um, a lot of them are over there and they're just like, they have their own communities of other moms. And I'm like, this is sad that they're like in hiding. And after talking to some of them, they have real trauma from like, I got lucky with my situation with my children. And I did quit smoking weed with my second, um, but it was an awful pregnancy. It was not what I wanted. I wound up going back on meds and that just made me angry. Like I shouldn't, nobody should have to be put in that situation, especially a mother, a pregnant mother. And then also some of the stories I heard were like, you know, CPS showed up at the hospital after I just gave birth and like they tried to take away my child or, you know, even that like, oh, but you didn't get your child taken away. Right. Like it doesn't matter. A pregnant woman who just delivered a baby is in a very vulnerable state. And like for our culture and society to just look at that and just like shoo it away, like whatever, you got a baby, like let me harass you now. Like that's just so wrong. And I think I should ask um, one of my lawyer friends, but I do think that pregnant women are classified as a sensitive class of citizens under the law, as far as I can recall reading. Law is just my hobby. Um, also, <laughs> I didn't say this, this disclaimer before, but I am not giving any legal advice or medical advice. This is for educational purposes only. Um, okay, so going back to OG Jenny Blaze 420, that account was doing all right. But then, and if you're a cannabis content creator or somebody who wants to talk about weed on social media, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but social media hates us. <laughs> they, and they do it in such a passive aggressive way, like Instagram particularly. So for example, um, some content creators out there might've noticed, and you might've already had these if you have a lot of followers, but I just recently got the um, bonus reels option where you can make money just for your reels content. And I'm like, what? I've been like working for free, <laughs> making reels for how long? No, just kidding. But I mean, not kidding. But I'm like, okay, let me read the fine print and everything. And turns out, well, not only was it super shady saying like you can only get $10 per reel and you can only do it for five reels and you can only cash out if you have at least $100 in your account. It's like, this none of this makes sense. So basically, you want us all to work for free 
in the hopes of maybe getting $50, but actually never getting it because we need, there's a condition in there that says we need a hundred dollars in there. Right. So that's like dumb to begin with. But then on top of it, I looked at my screen and it said account, um, at risk for being uneligible or something like that. And I was like, what the hell? And there were two offenses, I guess, under my account on Bravo and Blaze about um, one of them was a comment where I said um, something like, yeah, but he's still an ass or something like that. So that got flagged. But then the other one was me saying, this reminds me of neck brace whore, <laughs> but with a asterisk where the O goes. So it wasn't even the real word. And I wasn't calling anyone that. I was referencing Ryan Murphy's Scream Queens neck brace whore played by Leah Michelle. So it's hard for me to believe that those two comments that got flagged from like a year ago are what's like keeping me from monetizing on Instagram right now. But anyways, there's other ways to monetize off of Instagram. So I'll get to that in a minute. But during this time at OG Jenny Blaze, having this situation, I one day I checked and like you couldn't search on my name. People kept telling me like, oh, I don't know. I can't find your account. And I was like, what? Why can't you find my account? Turns out the passive aggressive stuff, <laughs> try not to swear, that Instagram did was like they removed my account from anyone searching on it. And so that's when I was like, you know, F this. I spent like six months on this account, put in a lot of work, and this is how they do me. Like, no, I was so, so mad. And I was like, but I'm not going to stop talking about weed. So I need to figure out a new way. And this was right around the same time where I was like, oh my God, okay, I'm coming out of the closet, green closet. But then I had this realization when COVID happened, like, oh my God, reality TV brings me joy. And I had a deep, deep shame about that for a long time because, and I, went back to the root of the problem, like, you know, dissecting, peeling back the layers. And I realized it was confirmed when, when it actually happened, but it was my father who, for one, he's the one who got me on reality TV. He watches all the judge Judy judge shows out there, like, like clockwork. Okay. But he also talks so much smack about reality TV. Like he's just very like stuck up about it or whatever. And so for me hearing this growing up since I've been watching Bravo since like Project Runway, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy days, like before Housewives. And I haven't been as diligent as I am now. Like I watch every show that's on Bravo now, but I watched a lot of Bravo and not just Bravo, other reality shows too. Um, you know, like for the last two decades, like more than that. So, and it brings me joy. And I remember thinking like, 
why do I have shame about this? Like reality TV is like the study of psychology, sociology, and anthropology all rolled up into one. And I am fascinated like on so many different levels and dynamics. I would say it's similar to my addiction to true crime. Like what on earth caused such tragic events? And I need to know the thought process behind everything because I like to be proactive and make sure that if I'm ever in a situation where somebody is acting weird, I know to protect myself. Maybe that's a little going too far. I don't know. You other true crime addicts, I'm sure you know. But um, and then I also remembered, well, when my phone was plugged into the wall back in the day, I remember being younger than my oldest daughter now. I was in seventh grade. And I used to talk to my friend Russ Hazen on the phone like every day, all day after school. Like had to sit on the kitchen countertop because – the cord wasn't long enough and like whatever we would talk about TV and movies all the time. And at that time, Siskel and Ebert were like the big TV reviewers, like the thumbs up, thumbs down thing. And we used to talk as if we were like Siskel and Ebert. And I remember thinking like, Oh my gosh, I would love to be Siskel and Ebert. Like, I just remember that thought when I was young, but then also thinking, like, that's impossible. Like, I don't, like, how could I ever even do that? Fast forward this year, my podcast reached number eight in the top 100 indie TV reviews charts. So it isn't that far off. And these are like childhood things that brought me joy. And I just like remember like having this aha moment of like I am in the closet about loving reality TV. I'm in the closet about being Jenny Blaze. That's where Bravo and Blaze was born pretty much. And, you know, the focus was on Bravo content because Bravo has a huge community. Like there are so many people that are brought together by Bravo it was, it's like basically niching down, right? Like we're a community of like-minded people and we have, we're not just that though. Like we have other things that we like and that's where like networking and, you know, working with others, collaborate, collaborating, that's like the art, that's the beauty, that's the, that's what's really going to like push things in a different direction in your business. So what I did was before I actually started Bravo and Blaze, I was using my OG Jenny Blaze 420 Twitter account to live tweet during shows because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm leaning into this and I love everyone here. Like I'm here reporting for duty. And I realized like, okay, this is kind of weird because this, my account name is OG Jenny Blaze 420. So that's when I... I created Bravo and Blaze on everything, like every single platform. I purchased the domain. Um, you can check out last week's episode where I talk about what to do after you buy a domain. Um, and I just started live tweeting on Bravo and Blaze and using all the Bravo hashtags. They're like, some of these people are like some of my best friends now. 
I just love this community. And yeah, there's always some people who are like extreme or whatever. I try not to like let them ruin the fun of it because I think there is a lot of beauty in our community, regardless of like the toxicity. <laughs> but anyways, live tweeting turned into making memes. And I thought about, you know, memes. I used to make memes in my head pretty much during meetings at work that were so boring. I'd be like, oh, my God, if Teresa Judice was here, she would just flip this table. Like that was already kind of organic for me. So I started making memes. But then using some of my, um, you know, like digital imaging and editing skills, I started um, working on merch because I was designing things using Canva, which is a great app, by the way. But um, I started designing things in there and I was like, oh, my God, it'd be so funny if I had like a hospital smell candle, like because of the Jen Shaw thing on Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. And so what and these things were bringing me joy, like literally, I don't care. I didn't care if anyone bought any of my merch. I was like, this is for me. I love it and I'm going to do it. So live tweeting turned into me making was turned into merch making. I would put like, it was just funny to me, like the thought of having, you know, Luann De La Sepp's mugshot on a t-shirt or like I'm disengaging on a mug or I have a, uh, a cutting board that says, how many sandwiches have you made for me? And I have a plate that says, this isn't my plate, you effing B from Shannon Storm's Bedore. So I just was having so, so much fun doing this. And I didn't have a big following yet. I mean, I don't even, my following isn't that big now on Instagram, which by the way, I think Instagram hates me and I'm just annoyed. <laughs> I feel like the fruits of my or I'm not getting the fruits of my labor with Instagram because it is my favorite platform. But as far as like return on investment, it's not the best. But there are ways for some people like the merch that I would post that on my Instagram and then people will go buy that on my website. So I'm not like getting money directly from Instagram but it's helping to drive traffic to, you know, a place where I can monetize. So um, where did I leave off? <laughs> so, yes, I also um, created a video on how to create a She by Sheree fashion line in under 14 years, which essentially teaches you how to sell your own merch, just like I did, you know, for your own brand. And um, the way that you do it, it's the cheapest and easiest way to do it, it's called drop shipping. So essentially, you don't have to go and make any products. You just um, connect with a manufacturer. If you supply them the print or the design, they will print it for you on various types of merch, like mugs, hats, blankets, towels, like almost anything. Think – I like to think of anything virtual in like real world terms. Drop shipping to me is like when you go to like the boardwalk in New Jersey 
uh, at the Jersey Shore and they have those um, those stores where they have like all these different T-shirts. They're like, what do you want? What do you want? I'll print on anything. I'll print on anything. Like literally that's who you're connecting with. You're just giving them, I mean, not that exact, like it's usually a bigger facility and there's tons of them out there, but you're essentially selling your design through their using their manufacturing. I hope that makes sense. Anyways. Um, okay. So all of this is like in less than a year where I started selling merch. And then I started my podcast the first week of this year, 2022. And like I said before, within four months, we reached number eight in the top 100 indie TV review charts. So that the podcast is a whole other topic, but that one, I didn't have childcare. So I had to beg my mother to watch my kid for me one time a week. So if you are starting to like think about doing ramping up your business or scale, the podcast, I would say, does probably take the most time. Um, but you can still use social media to help with, you know, drive sales and monetize in other ways. So once we hit number eight, like it's just been a big whirlwind. I started Cannabis Mom Boss. I met and interviewed Red Man, the funk Dr. Spock. Hello. Anyone know Method Man? Johnny Blaze? Jenny Blaze? Where do you think that came from? Um, what else? I went to BravoCon. I met, I met Andy Cohen. I would have never, if I kept going on that route that I was going in my career before, when the hell would I have met Andy Cohen? When would I have interviewed Dr. Contessa Metcalf from Married to Medicine or, um, Andrea Denver, supermodel? Like, you can't get better than that. Like, just so many amazing things are happening, and I have no regrets. Is it easy? No. But if you're willing to work hard and think strategically and really, like, get into a mindset where you really know yourself, who your audience is, and how you serve them, I think anyone can be successful. Because... And also, I'm part of these other groups like Boss Babe and other like master classes and masterminds. A lot of these people don't have that many followers. Like I heard one story of a girl. She had like 300 something followers on Instagram and she made like $20,000 in like one month or something through a service that she provided. Like that's power in technology. It exists. But anyways, okay. So I already took up a full hour, but I'm going to keep going. Um, because I did have this graphic that I wanted to share. Actually, I wonder if I can share it on here. Can I share screen window? Share. <gasps> I did it. Wait. How do you make this bigger? 
and make this go away. I know there's a way to make this full screen. Okay, whatever. <laughs> okay, so I have this graphic, which if anyone is interested, you can email me, send me a message, and I will send you a copy of this. Because this is, I think, a really good starting point for anyone who wants to um, here, let me blow this up bigger. Um, this is a good starting point for anyone who hasn't created a social media account at all, or maybe you want to start a new one. So in this, um, table that I have, and, um, this is also a podcast, so you could be listening on Spotify, but I have all the like basic features of Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube in a table format. So, or like a matrix, I guess you could say, where I go through um, the differences in each of these social media platforms. So things like the handle in Twitter, you can only have 15 characters. That could potentially change things for some people and their business. Like if you have a, how many, like Cannabis Mom Boss, one, two, three, five. I have exactly 15. So if it was the cannabis mom boss, then I would have to like figure out something else because you want your candle to be consistent wherever you go. Right. Um, and also, um, I still stand by my philosophy of always owning your own domain because keep in mind, you can get kicked off of any social media platform and lose all of your content. As soon as you upload any content to any social media platform, they, own it. Okay. So my best advice for anyone who's out there creating a digital empire, make sure you always own your own stuff. Um, and it's not to say that you can't share stuff, but like you don't want to put all your stuff on social media and not have your own version of it. Cause once they get rid of it, then it's gone. Um, profile picture. So there is obviously a profile picture for each platform, but then they have like on their account pages, it's a little different. Instagram has an avatar. I don't use that. I don't even know what it's for. I don't know if it has any benefits. Um, but on Twitter, there's like a banner image. And then same with YouTube, there's a banner image. But also if you go into your account settings and your studio, they have a video watermark. There's like really cool features on YouTube that I think, um, if you know about, which I'm still learning, but I'll share everything I learn. Um, some of these things are really cool because as your watermark stays up there, somebody can go up and, um, click at any point to go to your channel. Also, it's just good for branding, right? There's like a statistic that says, um, I don't know what the number is right now. You can Google it. I'm sure. But, um, there's like a certain number of times a person needs to see a logo for them to even consider trusting. So it's like not even, even if they get to know your, your logo, that doesn't mean they trust you yet. So like you're constantly going through like phases, like not, none of this is immediate, like, Oh, here's the secret. Like, there's nothing like that. This is all hard work. This is using strategy, using best practices, 
Anyone can do this. And in my consulting days, these things that I'm talking about right now to you all, this document that I put together that I spent time on, my clients were charged $500 plus per hour for my time. So what you're getting is the best of the best. Like it may not be like the prettiest because I'm not like a graphic artist, but all this stuff, all the knowledge that I have that I've built up, I'm sharing it with you. So um, going back to um, the profile bio, um, this is big too, because on YouTube, you have a full 1000 characters. A bio is so important because First of all, it's hard to even get people to go to your actual account page. There's also a statistic that's like, I think expect out of all the impressions you get, you might get like 1%, if that, who actually go to your profile page. So you get like one shot to really get someone on board, right? Because... You want them to follow you. You want them to go to your link or shop or whatever it is. So that 1,000 characters needs to be very, I mean, it needs to be very um, well put together. It needs to have, you know, who you are, who you serve, those kinds of things. And that's like a whole other, I could do a whole other episode on just that. But also um, on Twitter and Instagram, you only have 150 or 160 characters for your bio. Again, that's why it's really important when you have platforms with smaller form fields, you need to maximize all your real estate. Like don't waste time with, you know, frivolous things like you. This is this is where it counts. Um you probably have seen if you're on Instagram or Twitter, there's only one um, or there's only one spot available for your URL or website. And um, a lot of times people will get like a link tree and then that that's all great. There's different types of link trees. There's link tree, there's link pop. But then also sometimes if that is not designed properly, it can actually overwhelm people. So I don't like to give advice on the link tree because I don't know enough about it to um, say whether or not like what the best practices are. That's something that I, I will definitely be exploring in the future. But what I love about YouTube is that you get 14 spots, 14 URLs, 14 different ways for your viewers to take action and do something off of YouTube. And I am partial to YouTube. I'll tell you at the end, but I think that's amazing. 14 spots. That's awesome. Um, the downside of YouTube, there's no direct message or group chat. You only can talk in the comments pretty much. And I don't like that because I really like having one-on-one -on -one interaction with anyone that I'm I'm talking to. <laughs> I just feel like I can, like I'm comfortable talking to anyone. So like one-on-one -on -one feels easiest for me and feels, I actually get, ex like I get excited if somebody messages me because I'm like, oh my gosh, somebody actually like has some kind of interest because when you're doing this, 
and I've been doing this for some years now, you'll see like you can get millions and millions and millions of viewers, but only a percentage of that, a fraction of that actually converts into somebody who's going to buy something from you or follow you or support you in some other way. So, um, yeah, where did I leave off? Okay, so in Twitter and in Instagram, you can do direct messaging. You do group chats. There's also some settings where you can, like, change your um, chat feature, I guess. And then this is important. So for each post on Twitter, you only have 280 characters. Again, real estate is important when it comes to Twitter. So these are the types of things you need to consider when you're making your own business because everyone's business is totally different and unique. What works for some people does not work for everyone. But if 280 characters is not enough for you to make a connection with your ideal client or customer, then maybe Twitter is not your number one priority. That's just an example. I'm not saying that's a rule of thumb. But um, that's why I love YouTube because not only do they have a title, a separate title that has 100 characters, they also have 5,000 characters available in their description. Instagram's like in the middle, 2,200. Um, but the thing with YouTube is Google is the number one website visited in the world. Second to that is YouTube, and it is owned by Google. And Google is number one. Why? Because it has the best search engine capabilities. And that search engine applies to YouTube as well. The search, Google doesn't go and look in, it does look at Twitter actually, but I don't think it looks in um, captions on Instagram. I'll have to double check that one, but you're able to reach more people using YouTube. Just saying. That's my, that's my opinion. Um, so then, and you, you might see a pattern here. Like, wait, why is there a difference? Like they all can do pretty much the same things or some of them have different features turned on. Some have different features turned off. Like that's the thing about social media. Any platform can start, a new social, like I can start Jenny Blaze social media, the platform, whatever. And I can pick and choose what kind of features I want. That the features, like interestingly, it, uh, it impacts the way that people use these platforms because you have totally different audiences on these platforms. Like, the way I describe Instagram and Twitter is like Instagram is like when you're business casual and like you don't want to be inappropriate in front of your coworkers. And so, but like maybe sometimes you're a little cheeky, you know, but nothing too carried away. And that's how like Instagram is. It's like your work after work happy hour, right? You're, you got your best foot forward. Twitter is like, the after party where you go to when you're drunk and no one cares what you look like, who you're with, who you know, literally it's just whatever goes. <laughs> it Those dynamics change 
who like who you're talking to. Because when you're running a business and you want to reach your customers or clients, you need to have an, some kind of emotional connection with them. And so, I don't know. <laughs> I just think it's, <gasps> oh my gosh, I'm getting distracted by myself and my own um, graphic here. But uh, stories. So Twitter used to have fleets, but they got rid of it. I don't, I don't know why, but I guess it wasn't doing anything for them. Um, Instagram. I love Instagram stories. That's where I live. Um, you can't for 24 hours, you can put an image up or a video and it'll go away. Um, I, that's where I put all my tweets, my live tweeting. And on YouTube, once you get a thousand subscribers, then you can start doing stories apparently. And then this is interesting to me. Um, the difference between Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube as far as short form video. So short form video, I think um, industry standard is like considered less than um, 10 minutes, I think. So, um, but there's, Twitter has a limit. There's, you can only post like one minute and 40 seconds, I believe. Or is it 140 seconds? Which makes a difference. That would be two minutes and 10 seconds. Anyways, it's, I'll have to double check that one. <laughs> but Instagram, there's no limit as far as I know. Um, and then YouTube, their YouTube shorts have a limit of 60 seconds. And then it turns into like long form video, which you'll see on YouTube. There's a separate videos tab and a separate live tab. And then as far as long form video goes, Twitter doesn't have that option. Um, Instagram online, when I Googled, it said um, you needed or that you can't post anything more than an hour. But I've gone live for more than an hour before. So I'm not really sure what the answer is there. On YouTube, the... Um, the maximum length of a long form video is 15 minutes if you are not a verified Google account. And so a verified Google account um, occurs when you verify using a phone number, I believe. So once you get verified, then you can post as long as you want, I guess. And then as far as live stream goes, Twitter does not. Well, Twitter, you can live stream if you have like a second party. So I use StreamYard to stream to multiple platforms. So that's how I live stream to Twitter, but it, Twitter itself does not have that functionality. Instagram, yes, you can go live as soon as you open an account. Um, again, these are things to think of for your business. When to use lives, when to use short form, when to use long form, what is the most important for your business? Um, and then with YouTube, you have to have at least 50 subscribers, have a verified Google account and no violations within 90 days. So that is the rundown of my little, um, comparison between my top three platforms. And like I said, I don't know. <sighs> I don't know about Instagram. Like, I don't know if I want to continue with that because as far as the effort goes, I just don't think I'm getting the return. But I just love it there. <laughs> so I don't know what to do. 
So how do you get started either with a side hustle, your existing small business, or if you want to elevate your current business? The short answer is it depends. The long answer is it depends based on your unique business. You need to decide what are your priority priorities, what are your strengths and weaknesses, what are the gaps in between that, and then how do you set goals to achieve those. And those are all things that I'm going to be covering in my 2023 Cannabis Mom Boss Manifestation Workshop. Make sure you sign up at CannabisMomBoss.com. Um, I hope that helped some of you or inspired you to at least think about getting started because I truly believe that investing in yourself is recession-proof and inflation-proof. And if you are interested in having a copy of the table that I went through on this episode, please feel free to send me an email and I'll send it to you. For everyone else, please make sure you subscribe and turn on notifications so you can be updated when we go live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern for Cannabis Mom Boss. Stay lit, fam.